Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. We are beginning a new six-week study entitled Communicating with Your Family. We are being led by Rick Wirtz from Faithful Fathering Initiative of Texas. We meet on Thursday mornings from 6 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. We welcome you there at the Fellowship Center at Houston's First Baptist Church. Hope to see you soon and have a great day. Good morning, men. All right, let's open in prayer and we'll get going. Lord, do praise you for this day. Gosh, what a blessing it is to be up to enjoy the glory that is you in the morning. It's a blessing to be here with men that are passionate about walking a bit closer to you tomorrow than today. And I just praise you for the commitment they have made to this study and commitment they made to each other in their small groups. I just ask you to be with us and guide us through this morning and our time together. And may your words be spoken and heard. We lift these things up in the name of the risen Lord Jesus the Christ. Amen. All right. Well, I know that uh, Eric said it a little bit with tongue-in-cheek. I lived in London a couple of years, and I'm very familiar with their socialized medicine. So uh, don't believe anything that's been out in print or out in the uh, media, because uh, I guarantee you the doctors love to see us Yanks come in with cash. And uh, they would uh, we'd always they would put us at the top of the list because they, of course, had to wait for the other money to come in, which wasn't always that reliable. So have no have no doubt, we still have the best health care system in the world. No doubt about it. All right. Well, how about those horsemen, men? Did you get to see a few of those horses running around this week? How about the homework? Did you, is the homework doable? You No problem? Got a little bit personal this week, didn't they? Didn't they ask about specific horsemen showing up and some examples? Is that, uh, how is that to work through? Any, any, anything come out uh, in discussion? Any south end of the northbound horses show up? Well, remember, we, uh, we did talk about the, uh, the four horsemen last week, and that was our second week. I told you we're going to be looking inside for two weeks, and then this week we're going to start equipping and looking at ways to really uh, begin to, to cut through some of, the, some of the issues that faced us in our communication styles. But we did have the, uh, the four horsemen, the white horse, the escalation. Anybody catch themselves this week? Right? Anything you want to share? No, absolutely not. <laughs> it's true, huh? Good. All right. Any uh, cap on the toothpaste issues? They're squeezing in the middle versus on the end. Yeah. All right. Okay. Isn't it amazing how the little things can escalate, though? And I, I, that's what I really found very powerful through this week was the sensitivity to understand how quickly things can go. How about the invalidation? Any cell phone stories that you guys got to personalize? Any invalidation? Yeah. Wife or kids or what? <laughs> and there it spiraled down. Okay. Well, that's uh, I, I commend your your sensitivity. I mean, that's a word that us guys don't typically use in the company of other guys. But in fact, that's exactly what communication is, isn't it? When you're in, when you're 
when you need to validate someone, you have to be sensitive to what their needs are and what they're in. And we'll run into some of that this morning when we talk about listening as well. How about the negative interpretations? Any mind reading going on in your communication? No matter what you did, she thought you were playing a game maybe or uh, anything on that? You caught yourself. And was your mind reading accurate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Mind reading is good, but it always sounds better when they actually say it to you and they can process it. How about withdrawal and avoidance? Any of that going on? Yeah? Who's withdrawing and who's pursuing? Uh-huh. And does she pursue more the more you withdrew? Uh-huh. Okay. That's the way it works, isn't it? And that's that's where and I, I guarantee you there's a whole culture out there of of, of men that say, I'm withdrawing, I'm out of here. Not just I'm gonna withdraw until tomorrow or I'm gonna withdraw until tonight, but I'm out of the marriage or I'm out of the situation. And uh that's something we can't let happen. So I applaud your your sensitivity and your willingness to kind of help identify some of these horses running around your house because until we get the, the reins on these horses we're going to continue to see our communication spiral downward. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that this morning. We're talking about listening. Who considers themselves a good listener? All right, now, who? if I asked your wife, who would who would be validated as a good listener? Oh, well, okay, all right, all right, good. Well, that's uh, something I I know I'm, no, I'm, I'm convicted of more often than I'd like to admit is that I... I really am not engaged in every conversation to where I can really listen to what's being said. I can I confess that even in my own prayer life. How many of you all spend as much time listening in prayer as you do speaking to God? You know, I always say we're, we're blessed with two ears and one mouth. Why do you think that might be? So we can listen at least twice as much as we speak. Now, he's, cur he's cursed me. He's made me deaf in one ear. So... Uh, I only get to listen as much as I speak now, but uh, I blame that on my bride. You see, we've been married 29 years, and she's always been on my right side, so my right ear is gone. So I have to be very careful where she sits, you know, so that I don't wear this ear out, you know. Just kidding, just kidding. All right, listening by definition. Make a conscious effort to hear, to give heed, to take advice, golly, and to even pay attention. Now, this is what Webster had to say about listening. That's, that's pretty, you know, to actually pay attention when we're in a conversation, to listen well, uh, to take advice, to take heed. These are things that, you know, it really does take that conscious effort, that very intentional effort to, to hear and listen to what's being said. And what I'd like to introduce to you this morning is really the art of active listening. The uh, session that you read through this week has to do with really three dimensions, and I'd like to introduce those as physical involvement, emotional engagement, and spiritual grounding is the way we're going to walk through this this morning. And those three dimensions are critical because each one brings a piece to the table as far as how effectively you are engaged in the process of, of listening. So starting off by looking at that on the physical involvement, how many of y'all done some coaching? Any coaching? And what, how do you talk to those kids? Do you 
Do you get up here and you're talking down to them all the time, or do you take a knee and get face to face with them, eye to eye a little bit? You know, in that, did you find yourself that a little a little bit more engaging? Why is that? Yeah, you're not as intimidating when you come across. Yeah, good point. What else? The eye contact, beautiful, absolutely. That eye engagement uh, on your child's level. You know, I, it, I always, I always think about you know, even on Sundays when we come in here. How do you think the preacher likes to see you? He likes to see you in that back row looking like this, or does he like to see you? Uh, listening uh, up close with the open posture, you know that that type of thing. These are the things that really help folks know that you're engaged and listening to what's being said. Otherwise, you're shutting some doors. Uh, your facial expressions, the eye contact, you know that that's what really helps you uh, engage in in what somebody is saying. Because you know they what do they say that you really only hear uh, you, your processing is about what 30% what's being said. Sometimes it's as low as 10% of what's being said. The rest is how it's said. So unless you're really engaged physically in, in all the areas, in your body position, facial expression, I always say kids can see right through you. you know, I, I would rather talk to 100 men than a classroom of second graders because those second graders see right through you. If you're not real, they're going to cut you to the chase very quickly. And that's something we have to be very sensitive to. Is our kids, we can't, we can't fool them. Uh, one of the challenges we have as dads sometimes we think we can, we can cover things up when things are going wrong at the office or we're just under some tension or what have you. We come in and we try to put on a good front. Guess what? Our kids can see right through that. Kids can see right through that. So it's always better to come clean and be very open in your communication. And so that way you can, again, you can listen to what's going on in their life because otherwise they think they've done something wrong, don't they? When, you, when, you're, when you're uptight, they think maybe they've caused something, so you're really not listening to what their body and what their body language is saying to you. So facial expression, eye contact, making sure that the kids really can make a, a contact with you. Paraphrasing is another domain. Uh, how many of you all have been in sales? Anybody at and what are they, you know, you're this paraphrasing is going back, explaining what the customer just said to you and maybe in his words, but then suggesting that, that you really understood what he said. It can also be a teenage boy saying, man, that was bad. And, and you say, okay, what do you mean bad? What was bad? Well, I don't mean bad as bad. Bad is actually good. I say, oh, okay, does the good mean bad then? You know, you, these are the things, you know, when our kids come at us and talk to us in this kind of language, I always have to say, no, wait a minute, let me make sure I understand what you're saying, you know, and, and uh, that's, you ever run into that? Anybody? And kids just, they, they say something and you take it one way, but it isn't until you paraphrase it back to them, you say, now this is what I heard you say, is this really what you said? No, Dan, that's, you're off the wrong, okay, then help me get on the right page, explain, explain to me in old fart language, you know, what, the, what you meant, and then, then that helps, it helps us engage. But you see that paraphrasing, I think it's on page 38, that it, it gives you some, some information there that, uh, that says that uh, paraphrasing, when you have an opportunity to feed back, restating what someone just said in, in, in their own words, but, in, but then in your own words as well to come around and say, this is really what I understood and what I heard you say. Let me back up just a minute. I want to make a couple of points on page 37. The father who talks and listens to his children gets the most satisfaction as a dad. 
Does that make does that resonate with you? The dad that talks and listens to his children gets the most satisfaction. As many counselors and researchers have noted over the year, communication is the key to all relationships. If you don't listen, you don't communicate well. That really includes our relationship with the Lord, doesn't it? Have you ever thought about that in your prayer time? Make sure you commit as much time listening as you do praying aloud. That's communication in the, with the Lord, isn't it? When you can really in, indeed listen as, at least as much as you're praying aloud to hear what the Lord has to say. Some folks refer to it as meditating on the Word. If you read some scripture, you just pray through that scripture and then you listen to what the Lord has to say to you. It may not be an audible. It may be a feeling. It may be a, 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 a nudge in a certain direction. You know, these are, that's the way the Lord speaks to us. And in, incredibly, that's the way a lot of things happen, isn't it, in your communication. It isn't always what your wife has said to you or your kids say. It's the way they've reacted physically. It's the way they've responded to something you've said that is the answer to your question. And you see, that's why we want to make sure physically that you're using your body position, your facial expressions, everything that you can do to listen well to what's coming in. Make sense? Okay. On another front, on the emotional engagement side, this is another side that's pretty tough for us guys to embrace. This emotional stuff is, uh, well, we just don't like to go there sometimes. Well, I don't. I, I figure the less emotion involved, the better, more in control I am, right? And I want to be in control of every communication effort, so I don't want to show any emotion. I want to keep that good game face on. Well, that doesn't necessarily work when you're talking to your teenage daughter or even a younger child or even your wife. So our challenge, the challenge for me has been to that word sensitivity that was brought up this morning. We've got to be more sensitive. I hate that word. I don't like, you know, that's not who I, that's not the way I operate. That's not my, that's not my game face. I, I don't want to go there. But if I really want to communicate and, and engage in the conversation, I got to learn to convey that level of sensitivity. And that sensitivity can come by identifying some key words our children throw at us. You know, my boy may come home and say, man, the coach hates me. And my initial response is what? Oh, come on. Don't be, don't be a girl. He, he doesn't hate you. Just get after and do the work he calls you to do. He tells you to do. Now, is that sensitive? What might I say? Well, tell me why you think he hates you. Well, he doesn't ever put me in the game. He pulls me out, puts me in, what have you, and says so he just hates you. He doesn't. What makes you think that is hate? You see the difference there? So you engage him in that conversation. You start to realize he needs to understand when he goes in and out of the game isn't his decision. I was like Cal Ripken. You know, he said he never once asked to be put into a game. His job was to be ready when his coach called him to put him in the game. So he, the things that he could control, he had to be ready to play. It was up to his coach if he was fit, if he, if he was the right guy for the right time in that situation. just happened that he was for 2,632 games. <laughs> or was that the number 26? It was 2,600 or 2,362. I, don't, I mess those numbers up, but... My point being that that allowed me to have a little bit better conversation with my son, didn't it? Versus just saying, suck it up. You know, he doesn't hate you, just get after it. 
you know, we actually were able to engage in a conversation. A lot more uh, emotional when it comes to my daughter. You know, when, when she would come to me with a word, I would have to, you know, make sure I label that word. And I think it's, it's called labeling uh, emotional words on page 40, I think, is where we're at here, if you want to look at that real quick. But, you know, some of these things have to do with, with uh, understanding that when a word is thrown out there, hate, disappointed, uh, they just don't like me, you know, these, these types of words, there are opportunities for us to open up hearts for a little bit deeper communication, you see. And that's where this word sensitivity comes in. As we convey that sensitivity, we can help our kids process some of these emotions. And that's particularly cool as our kids are younger because sometimes, you know, like embarrassment for, for a six-year-old, that's a pretty heavy word. But they know they've been embarrassed. So it gives us an opportunity as a dad to really engage and help them process some of these emotions even at a very young age. So then as they get on in their, in their you know, later years and teen years and onward, then we have that dialogue to be able to communicate and, and, and label and, and engage in some of these emotional words that really, if they're not addressed, can sit there and percolate, can't they? I mean, how, what do you think about a kid that thinks a coach or any adult actually hates them? What does that, what does that do that percolates inside a kid for weeks and months and years? What does that do? Pretty soon you see some respect possibly start to slip. Maybe there's some uh, uh, antagonistic behavior against adults because that's their perception. But you see, if you nip it in the bud and identify that emotional word, help them process those emotions, then you've engaged in the conversation. You've helped them gain respect for an adult in a position of authority. And all of a sudden, you see how it could go either way if they're left to process these emotions on their own. Because I guarantee you there will be some pretty significant emotions as they start to experience puberty, some of these other things, and they'll need you to, as a calibration to understand some of the emotions they're working through at that point in time, you see. So it's important that we work on that from the get-go as early as we can to help, pro help kids process those emotions. Identify that nonverbal behavior. You know, again, you say you actually verbalize about 10% of your communication, 10 to 30%. The rest is how you say it and, and your emotions. Who likes to watch John Madden talk? You know, he's, 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 you know, if he ever tried to hold a mic and talk, uh, he would be the, a disaster. But you know, he, he just everything he does, he's out there, and, and that's just the way he talks. You know, a lot of your pastors are the same way, aren't they? You know, that's, the, that's their engaging process, and that's what we try to do when we understand that you know, our kids are throwing a lot of things at us by the way they say what they say. Again, uh, the facial expressions, the eyes, all these things give you some insight as to what they're actually trying to process and what they have to say. The, uh, the key there is that uh, the nonverbal behavior is absolutely as important, if not more important, than what's being said. I have a, a short clip I want to share with you there this morning. It's uh, from a, one of my favorite movies, Cinderella Man. Anybody seen that movie? It's about a washed-up boxer in the Depression, and he has. A, it's a great dad's uh, flick. If you, if you, it actually is is still one of those movies that's reasonable for family entertainment. 
but it's a, in this in this segment, it's a time where his son has done something we've probably all done, has taken something that's not ours. And and the situation behind this, of course, is that it is a time of depression. There are uh, families being broken up because they just flat can't afford kids and what have you. So all of this is part of the background that goes into this clip of Cinderella Man. Watch Russell Crowe here. Identify some of the things we're talking about here. What was it about? Young lady, your brother's in enough trouble without you telling on him. You understand? It's from the butchers. And he won't say a word about it, will you, Jay? Will you, Jay? Okay, pick it up. Let's go. Do not test me, boy. Right now. How to stay here? Johnson had to go away to Delaware to live with his uncle. Why? His parents didn't have enough money for them to eat. Yeah, well, things ain't easy at the moment, Jay. You're right. There's a lot of people worse off than what we are. And just because things ain't easy, that don't give you the excuse to take what's not yours, does it? That's stealing, right? We don't steal. No matter what happens, we don't steal. Not ever. You got me? Are you giving me your word? Yes. Go on. I promise. And I promise you, we will never send you away. Yeah, a little scared, I understand. Okay. All right, give me some of the things you did. Got down, actually got below him, didn't he? What about when he first walked in there? He said, boy, don't test me on this. <laughs> that, that was kind of the rule of my house, you know, beatings would continue until morale improved. What did he do? He he let him know that he was dad, right? He was in control. He said, come on. Don't test me on this. Get on in here. And the boy did. What else? What else came on there? Immediately addressed the issue, addressed the problem, didn't wait to, for things to percolate any further. Excellent. Okay, what else?
Right. Okay. There's that, uh, the word that you don't want to use or we don't like the word is the sensitivity side. He was sensitive, wasn't it? He, he, he understood. It, it clicked with him that his boy thought if he didn't help provide a little bit that he might get sent off. Huh? So the dad was sensitive, obviously, to the situation. And that sensitivity allowed him to understand some of the emotions that were going on in a 10-year-old kid's life. Yeah? That's not easy to do, is it? Because if you're familiar with the movie, he's struggling to survive himself. How easy would it have been to say, just suck it up, boy, I'm in control, deal with it. But he didn't do that. He showed a sensitivity, got engaged emotionally, physically got on his level, actually below his level. He started out above him, right? And he was got down like this, and then when he really got him to talk to him, he was below him asking his son to share with him what was going on and that he would promise to him that he wouldn't do that again. Yeah. So you see, when that when that kind of engagement is going on, then you have that opportunity to absolutely get in sync. At the end of the day, what did he say? I promise not to send you off. And then he said, I understand that you're scared. See, there's an understanding and an embrace. Isn't that what Christ does to us every day? When we come to him in our prayer and what have you, doesn't he say, hey man, I understand. That's why I went to the cross. I'm here for you. And we can feel those arms around us. And that's what we're to convey in our relationships as well. Just be there physically. Be emotionally engaged and be as sensitive as we possibly can. And then we're, then we're listening well and can communicate on. All right, so we talked about the physical involvement and the emotional engagement. I want to throw out a couple other things here to you. It's called, <coughs> excuse me, be aware of the filters. On page 41, there's a nice little diagram there that talks about, you know, what the incoming message is. I always like to use the, uh, the analogy of a pastor. You know, the pastor always gives you the, the, the sermon he wanted to give you and then uh, the sermon that he actually gave you and then you have the sermon that you took in. So he really gives three sermons at least every Sunday. The one he meant to give, the one he actually gave, and then the one you heard, right? And all of that happens because of different filters that we have going on in our own life. And what I'd like to sh share with you, these are really habitual patterns formed uh, through the way we categorize information. And that really a, has a lot to do with our past. But the, the, there's five filters I'd like to introduce, and one is called inattention. The, uh, it can be external noise or distraction. It can be the wonderful paper, you know, that you're reading in the morning. It can be the, uh, the remote control and your lazy boy at night. It can be the television. You know, it can be a lot of things that uh, go on that are really uh, in, it cause you to be inattentive to what's being said. Uh, one of my pet peeves, I still am amazed at how many folks leave a TV on or a radio on during dinner. You know, do any of you do that, have TV on during dinner? course is that some reason that's a lot of times that's what happens we get in this mode of just leaving this external noise on not even realizing how it inhibits communication uh, so that external noise distraction there can be some internal factors it may just be that you're not feeling well 
you know, may uh, just uh, and at which time you just want to say, hey, you know, let me let me get over this hump and, and let's talk in 30 minutes, you know, and maybe something else going on right then, uh, physically just distracting you. But my encouragement is to to eliminate the inattention, particularly around dinner time. You know, that that's uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Center of Alcohol and Substance Abuse says the easiest way to keep our kids off drugs is to have dinner together five times a week. The child that has dinner with his family only twice a week is more than twice as likely to be involved in drugs than the child that has dinner with their family five times a week. Pretty amazing, huh? And that's dinner without a television on. They actually talk about what's going on across the day. So that attention is critical, but that inattention is one of the listening filters that we have that inhibits our communication. The other side can be an emotional state. You know, uh, we come in from the uh, a long day at the office. Uh, you know, it can be a, a good day. It might be a bad day. I always like to share the story of the the mechanic whose, whose car was broken down, so his boss dropped him off the house one evening because he he just needed to ride home. And as his boss started to, to pull out of the driveway, he noticed that that the young man didn't go straight up to the front door of his house. He kind of walked in the middle of the yard touched the tree in the middle of the yard and then went in the house. And this struck his boss so profoundly, he, he made a note and the next morning he picked him up. And when he got in the car, he says, what was that about last night that you actually, you didn't, you know, it's, it's been a long day, I thought you'd go straight in the house, but you went out in the middle of the yard, touched a tree, and then went in the house. What was that about? He says, well, that's my trouble tree. He says, whatever's going on during the day, I let go of it on that tree. So when I walk in the house, my kids know what to expect. What a powerful dimension to be so in, so sensitive to what he might convey when he walks through the door that he actually shared that he would let go of all of his troubles. So when he walks in the door, it's very consistent in his mood and his behavior. You know, uh, I don't know about your home, but I had no idea what to expect when I opened my door, you know, and going in the house. Or if Dad was coming home, or if he was already home, he might be passed out, he might be, you know, in a stupor, he might be normal. You just never knew. And that emotional state certainly inhibited communication in our home, I guarantee you. But that intentionality, whether it's a good mood or bad mood, or whether you're mentally preoccupied, certainly is one of the filters that inhibit our ability to listen well. So my encouragement to you is to, you know, there's going to be times where you just have a rough day. And you just say, okay, time out, you know. Uh, let me wind down from the day, and then we'll we'll get on with your homework, or we'll talk about whatever is bothering you. But give me five minutes, you know, just that type of thing. Instead of what, what else could happen if you're in a bad mood and all of a sudden kids run up to you wanting something. Could fly off the handle. You just say, get out of my face. You know, all the, all the negative uh, potential in that communication far outweighs the uh, the ability. You know what what we needed to do was control that filter that uh, that may inhibit that communication. Uh, mentally preoccupied uh, that has to do back with uh, what I was talking about. Maybe something's going on at the office. Uh, you've had a change in responsibilities. You may think that you're handling it well, but your kids understand there's something else going on. You don't wrestle as much as you used to, or or you don't watch the TV with them like you used to, or, or don't ask them about their day for whatever reason. Why? Because you're mentally preoccupied. And our challenge then, of course, is when we have, I mean, I'd, 
I always tell dads, you know, don't feel guilty about working. That's one of the main things we do is provide for our family. The key is not to get it out of balance as I did and, and be uh, so preoccupied with the almighty dollar that that was, the, that was what I saw as, as my primary role. Well, it isn't our primary role. It's one of our roles to provide effectively for our family. So my point is, when you do have some time where uh, your, your job is requiring some travel, you know, maybe you're, you've got a month where it's just a lot of travel this month, or uh, maybe it's some long hours, uh, whatever the case may be, communicate it up front. And many times during that time, say, hey, you know, just understand, I'm going through a rough time in the office right now. It doesn't mean I love you less or anything else. It's just that I am preoccupied, and I'm going to find a way to carve out some time for us later this evening or later, you know, later in the week, whatever the case may be. But you see how you can address that up front versus reacting to it uh, in a negative way. Make sense? How the emotional state will certainly provide and, and be one of those filters that filters out your opportunity to communicate well. Another side are, are your beliefs and expectations. These can be a, a distorted, distorted perception based on your personal experiences. Now this is, uh, for young couples, I think this is one of the biggest challenges we face is the ability to process some of the, our, our personal beliefs and expectations. Because when we marry a young lady, what do we expect? We either want her to be an awful lot like mom or maybe 180 degrees opposite of mom, right? How do you convey that expectation in your relationship? And you know what? She married you because she thought you might be more like her dad. Or maybe, maybe not. So her beliefs, her beliefs and expectations and what goes on in that relationship, in your marriage relationship, has a lot to do with what you grew up under. And guess what? There's a lot of folks who grew up in single-parent homes. They have no idea how a man and woman are supposed to relate to each other. And you see how those beliefs and expectations can inhibit and be a filter on what your relationship becomes. And that, that communication, uh, the key there is then to have some very open communication. What do you expect of me as a husband? Well, I expect you to pay all our bills. Okay, well, that's, that's one dimension. What else? Well, maybe, it's, you know, remember, how many of y'all done winning at home and at work? What are women's primary need is what? Security. Security. And that isn't just financial security, although that may be a dimension that's very important to her based on her upbringing, but it's also emotional security, spiritual security, relationship, relational security. So those are the things that we have to be able to convey and, and understand that we have our own personal set of beliefs and expectations based on how we grew up. She does as well. And then that gets a little more complicated when kids come into the picture because we parent how? Awful lot like our parents parented us. And that may or may not be in sync with what you both think about parenting. So again, understanding that Sometimes our perceptions are distorted by our upbringing. Or maybe they just seem distorted compared to what she grew up with. But either way, the perception is a distortion that needs to be addressed. And until we address that, then our beliefs and expectations completely govern how we react to every situation. Does that make sense? See how you, and the, the more open you are on that communication, 
you, you, that's, that helps you get over that hump and minimize the impact of this filter in any communication. Because we do tend to see what we expect, don't we? If you don't think that's true, uh, let me just share with you my, uh, my son, uh, when he would you know, show a little bit of anger in a situation, I would go back to my hot-headedness as a tennis player. You know, I played tennis because I couldn't find nine other guys near as intense as I was. And I had quite I was a hot head. I mean, I'd throw the racket, I'd break the racket, I'd do all kinds of tantrums, all the, all the stuff that was part of my intense competitive nature, but is really out of hand because I was really reacting to a bunch of other stuff going on in my life. But guess what I thought about when the first time I saw my son throw his bat down? As a baseball player, he threw, just, just tossed his bat down. What do you think I saw? The boy, you're not getting, you're supposed to just get my good qualities, not my bad qualities. You are not going to show this kind of anger. You're not going to, you know, and my, I was way out of line. All he had done is tossed his bat down. And I immediately went where? That he was a hot-headed, out-of-control kid. Well, he's not. He's not me. But you see, I would read that in to his, his response, the way he acted, and respond because of what I expected from my personal experience. The blessing is he didn't grow up in the same experience of the same life that I did as a kid. And he's not the same young man that I was. He is not a hot-headed young man. But you see how I very quickly, until I became more, what's the word? Sensitive. I could have really gone the wrong direction in that communication, couldn't I? That's where we have to be careful. So know that you tend to see what you expect, and what you expect has a lot to do with what you grew up under, and that always needs to be calibrated with your wife and within your family and within the context of, of your situation. All right, so beliefs and expectations is uh, one of those listening filters. Another is just purely style difference. You know, how many introverts do we have here? And how many of you are married to extroverts? Or how many of you have kids that are tremendously extroverted? There's a, there are differences in our communication styles a lot of times. My daughter is tremendously emotional and uh, really out there in her communication. And that's tough for me to really process you know, how to read through all these different emotions that are coming at you at any given time. So being a guy, I would, of course, simplify it, get it down into a box and say, okay, this is what she's doing and this is the way I'm going to react. And uh, what I found was that my style difference, again, inhibited my ability to really listen well because I would process it within my own context instead of opening my heart up to what the, the full context potential of the communication was. So the personality the differences that we had, the culture, of course, the gender, you know, guys are different than girls. You know, uh, that's, uh, that's a fact. And we communicate differently. So our, our challenge is, to, my challenge is to, to be very sensitive in all those areas to understand that that style difference will bring a lot to the table as well as far as potentially filtering out some communication that would help me be more engaged in the process. Make sense? Make sense? Am I losing you? No? Okay. Finally, the last filter a lot of times is just purely self-protection. Uh, we don't want to go there. We don't want to talk about something because we're afraid we might get hurt. Uh, one example uh, from uh, 
I think it's on page, uh, you know, page 43. You know, the, it says, "With self-protection filter, we really want or feel does not get said because we fear rejection. We may hide something be, we want because expressing it would only open us up to further rejection. For example, a child may want a hug from his dad or to want him to come play with him, but he won't express it because he's afraid his dad might tell him to go away. He's busy. You know, so that fear of rejection." You know, and that's those are one. Of, that's one of those issues that has a lot to do with how we come across, doesn't it? You know, again, if we're touching that tree out in the front yard, letting go of our troubles, we might find that we're more approachable than we are after a bad day. You know, it broke my heart years ago when uh, uh, you know, I realized there's some things a teenage daughter won't come to dad for. You know, like extending curfew. I mean, she's smart, so she's not going to come to dad to extend a curfew. But what really broke my heart were there's some other issues that I wasn't really seen as being approachable. And that, that just that just was like a knife through the heart. You know, I, I want to I, I want to be there for my kids. I want them to perceive me as absolutely approachable in any situation. Whether it be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a, a tough test situation or what have you. I mean when they when they found out that I had actually failed a test before, they thought, wow. You because know, I said, hey, I'm not worried about your test grade. My only concern is, have you learned something? Are you going to do better next time? I don't get hung up on grades. And I let it slip one time. You know, I failed a test before. You did? Yeah. They know I'm real. It happens. But see, that made me more approachable when they realized, you know, believe it or not, your kids can put you on a pedestal. And yes, you are God. For about three years, maybe. But then you start taking hits, and you get real dumb around the teenage years, and then we get smart again when they work through that. But you realize that that's the way it is with kids. They, you know, you they are 100% dependent upon mom and dad, aren't they? For a good year, two years, even three years. And then, and then it starts. Some reality starts to come in, and only when we can. Let those guards down and be real so that we don't allow our kids to get into this self-protection mode or maybe we're in a self-protection mode to keep ourselves elevated to this false high. You know, our job as dads is to point ways, point the way to the, to the only perfect father. And by the way, his kids rebelled, right? So you understand that, that that's just the reality of life. But our challenge is to never allow our kids to actually have a fear of rejection from us. Don't allow that to ever percolate. So those are the filters I wanted to hit and help you understand that uh, that's, uh, that's the way it is. But be aware of those filters. And uh, again, these are typically habitual patterns formed uh, for categorizing our information that are 90% built on our personal experiences growing up. Finally, let's hit on spiritual grounding. I, I've you know, I, like I said, listening isn't one of my strong suits. So I like to call on all the all the resources I possibly can to help me listen a little bit better. So when I say call on the Spirit to help you listen, I mean it. I mean, I'll, I'll go to prayer silently in many communication efforts just to open my heart so that I would hear something that I might not hear without His assistance. And uh, I always like to share favorite scripture passages. You know, Romans 5, 3 through 5 is the rejoice in our sufferings. Because sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, 
and hope will not disappoint. You know, that's something I like to share with my kids. And, and when, I, when I realize that we're going through some tough times, this is something I like to help them know that, hey, suffering is part of the deal, you know. They both enjoy, my son enjoys sports. Well, that's, uh, that's one of the things I convey. I say one of the nice things is the hits you take when a coach doesn't play you, when, uh, when you don't understand what's going on, and, and, and then you have to understand that you only control what you can control and understand that that's part of life. It isn't always fair. It isn't always perfectly, doesn't always make perfect sense. But that's the value of extracurricular activities for our kids is they get to learn some of these life lessons along the way. But Romans 12, 2, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, as I don't allow myself to conform to the pattern of the world, I can open myself to the pattern that he calls me to, to be the father he calls me to be. And that opens up a whole new level of communication in our home. And it opens me up to a whole new level of being able to listen. Romans 15, 13, you'll be uh, filled with all joy and peace as you believe and trust in the Lord. I was, uh, you know, when does peace gone from our home? When I'm believing in me and not in him enough. You know, some days I believe in him and some days I'm the guy I believe in. You ever heard that? It's when I get in that mode of believing I'm actually in control of something that I, I tend to see the peace drift away a little bit. But as I believe and trust in him, then I am filled with all joy and peace. And that's what I have to remember in all of them. Again, when it comes to listening, as I can do that, then I, I, uh, I can reach some of those, those, those pinnacles a little bit better. So spiritual grounding is paramount. Now my question to you, does this all make sense? Being physically involved, emotionally engaged, spiritually grounded, is, does that sound familiar to anybody? Does that reflect anything to you? Again, I don't want you to think this is Rick Wirtz's philosophy, you know. Remember, we had Jesus the Christ here in the physical. He told us he was going to send us the counselor for the emotional. And, of course, we have the Heavenly Father in the spiritual dimension. So you see, we're really, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to listening, it's really about emulating our triune God that we speak of, our Father, our Son, the Holy Ghost. That's what we're called to do. So that's my encouragement to you today is really keep those three dimensions at the, at the forefront of your mind and your communication across this week. You've got a tough week ahead of you. You've got some serious boxes to fill out in your homework this week. All right, so I'm going to encourage you to stay on top of uh, your homework to do something every day or two because there's an active listening chart on page 45. There's... Uh, you know, identifying emotions and, and my words to help my child process those emotions. You know, that's on page 47. There's some things that, there's another one that, uh, you know, talking about filters on page 48. So there are some boxes that you have to stay on top of that will help you process some of the things we've talked about this morning. So it isn't an easy thing to do, but keep in mind that we are talking about a dimension that is exemplified from page 1 to all the way through the Scripture. From the Old Testament through the New Testament, he's, he's seeking relationship with us in the physical, in the emotional, and in the spiritual. And that's what we're called to do as we, as we process this on the listening front.
All right, so your homework is to uh, you know, complete week three homework and uh, stay on top of the listening charts. Uh, look at the, the work on the three dimensions of active listening and uh, memorize the book of Proverbs. I mean, 1813, I didn't mean all. And read Communicating in Conflict, that'll be our next lesson. In your small group here, I just open up with utilizing Proverbs 1813, update each other on your action step from past week, and share filters. I've got a handout I'll hand to you as well as far as what your homework is, and there's a devotion that I'm going to share with you on listening as well that I encourage you to read and share with your wife across the week. So let's close in prayer, and we'll break out in our small groups. Lord, thank you again for just being who you are and doing what you do. Uh, we praise you, Lord, for, for giving us your son, for uh, sending the, the Holy Spirit as a counselor in our life, and Lord, uh, certainly being present as our Heavenly Father. Lord, uh, we lean on you to fill the gap that uh, is there in all of our lives between uh, what our earthly father was able to provide us and what you can provide us. So we, uh, we call on you, Lord, to come into our lives, to uh, guide us through this week in our homework, but, uh, Lord, I especially ask you to open our hearts through this small group time that we can be real and uh, just share our walk through this lesson together. We lift these things up in the name of the risen Lord, Jesus the Christ. Amen. All right, small group time.